0: And welcome back to the word encounter episode 67 where we will continue on in first Kings chapter 16 and it says in verse one <clears throat> now the word of the Lord came to Jehu son of Hanani against Baasha uh, because I raised you up from the dust and made you ruler over my people Israel but you have walked in the ways of Jeroboam and have caused my people Israel to sin, angering me with their sins take note I will eradicate Basha from his house." And I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, son of Nebet. Verse 4. Anyone who belongs to Basha and dies in the city, the dogs will eat. And anyone uh, who is his and dies in the field, the birds will eat. <clears throat> so we see that Basha is getting the same sentence that Jeroboam got for essentially doing the same thing. sinning against the Lord in turning against him, and remember, uh, Basha had killed uh, Nadab in order to become uh, the king of Israel, and we see that his demise is now at hand. And then it says in verse six, uh, Basha rested uh, with his fathers and was buried in Terzah. His son Eli became king in his place. Let's drop down to verse eight. It says in the twenty-sixth year of Judah's king Asa. Elah became uh, Elah son of Basha became king over uh, Israel. He reigned in Tirzah two years. His his servant Zimri, commander of half his chariots, conspired against him while Elah was in Tirzah Ter- uh, getting drunk. And so the king is in Tirzah getting drunk, and his commander, the commander of half his army or half his chariots anyway, is conspiring against him. And so things are happening right under his nose. <clears throat> Uh, it says uh, Terza was getting drunk in the house of uh, Arza, who was in charge of the household at Terza. In the twenty seventh year of Judah's king Asa, Zimri went in, struck Eli down, killing him. Then Zimri became king in his place. So we see there, there's just a lot of treachery going on. Right? I mean, kings are killing kings, and or I should say, uh, uh, subordinates are killing kings in order to become king. Then those subordinates that became king, they get assassinated, and it's it's just. It is This is all descending because there was just a um, uh, uh, an atmosphere of sin that was going on. In verse 11, it says, When he became king, that is Zimri, uh, as soon as he was seated on his throne, Zimri struck down the entire house of Basha. He did not leave a single male, including his uh, kinsmen and friends, he did not uh, leave a single male, including his kinsmen and friends. Uh, so Zimri destroyed the entire house of Basha according to the word of the Lord he had spoken against Basha through the prophet Jehu. And so we <clears throat> see that Zimri has carried out the Lord's sentence, right? But Zimri is still evil, but he carried out what the Lord told Basha what would happen because of his sin. We go on to uh, verse 15, in the 27th year, of Judah's king Asa, Zimri became king for seven days in Terza. And so Zimri assassinated Basha in order to become king. And then it says he was king for a week. Now the troops were encamped against uh, Gibeathon of the Philistines. When the troops heard that Zimri had not only conspired, but also had struck down the king, then all Israel made Zim- made Omri, uh, the army commander, king over Israel that very day in the camp. Omri, along with all Israel, marched up from Gibeathon to besiege Tirzah, And so the troops had heard what, what had happened and they made their commander king right there on the spot on the battlefield. And then they turn around and they go back to Tirzah because they need to take care of this uh, political business. <laughs> and then in verse 18 it says, "'When Zimri saw that the city was captured, he entered the citadel of the royal palace and burned it down over himself. He died." So Zimri essentially killed himself, right? When he when he saw the army coming back uh, to get him for his treacherous actions, he just didn't want to face the music, I guess, and he killed himself, and that was the end of him. We skip over to verse twenty three. It says, "In the thirty first year of Judas, King Asa, uh, Omri became king over Israel." You see that everything is 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 being measured against the time that uh, Asa was king in Judah because remember Asa was a good king he followed the Lord and so it, it was like um, Israel had something like six kings during Asa during Asa's reign in Judah and so <clears throat> so now Omri's the king over Israel and he reigned for 12 years he reigned 6 years in Terzah then he bought the hill of Samaria from Shemur for 150 pounds of silver, and he built up the hill. He named the city he built Samaria. And as we know, Samaria will become the capital of the north, of the northern kingdom of Israel. In verse 25, Omri did what was evil in the Lord's sight. He did more evil than all who were before him. So we we start seeing this pattern. (laughs) And then it says um, uh, some of the things that he did, and then in verse 28 it says, Omri rested with his fathers and was buried in Samaria, his son Ahab became king in his place verse 29 <clears throat> ahab son of omri became king over israel in the 38th year of judas king asa of judas king asa ahab some son of omri reigned over israel in samaria 22 years verse 30 but ahab son of omri did what was evil in the lord's sight more than all who were before him we see this th- this descending pattern is one king does more uh, evil than all that were before him then the next king does more evil than all that was before him then the next king does more evil so they're getting more and more and more and more diabolical you know uh in the northern kingdom and so um in verse 31 it says then as if um then as if following the sin of jeroboam son of nebet were not enough he married jezebel the daughter of Ethbel, king of the Sidonians, and then uh, proceeded to serve Baal and bow and worship to him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he had built in Samaria. And so in the northern kingdom, he built a temple to Baal in the northern kingdom. <laughs> Ahab did more to anger the Lord, uh, God of Israel, than all the kings of Israel who were before him. Chapter 17, verse 1. Now Elijah the Tisbite uh, from Gilead from the Gilead settlers said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, in whose presence I stand, there will be no dew or rain during these years except by my command. And so the Lord is essentially sending a famine, you know, a drought, you know, that will cause a famine, but he's sending a, a drought. He said, No, no water here. In verse two, then the word of the Lord came to him, Leave here, turn eastward, and hide at the Wadi Cherith." Uh, where it enters the Jordan. And so the Lord is telling Elijah to leave here and go, um, uh, and, go and hide near this river. And it says, you know, you're to uh, uh, drink from the river and then I'll provide you with food. And so in verse five, it says, so he proceeded, he being Elijah proceeded to do what the Lord commanded. Elijah left and lived at the water sheriff um, where it enters the Jordan. Verse six, The ravens kept bringing him bread and meat in the morning, and in the evening he would drink from the wadi. And so the Lord was sending him a raven, a bird, to feed him, and he would drink from the river at night. And so the Lord was providing. In verse 8, then the word of the Lord came to him, get up, go to uh, Zarephath that belongs to Sidon, and stay there. Look, I have commanded a woman who is a widow to provide for you there says, so, so leave my provision here, leave my ravens <laughs> when I go and uh, meet this widow because I provided for you there. So that's what he did. When he arrived at the city gate, there was a widow gathering wood. Elijah called her and said, please bring me a little water and a cup and let me drink. As she went to get it, he called to her and said, please bring me a piece of bread in your hand. Verse 12. But she said, as the Lord your God lives, I don't have anything baked only a handful of flour in a jar, in the, in the jar, and a bit of oil in a jug. Just now I am gathering a couple of sticks in order to go prepare it for myself and my son so we can eat it and die. <laughs> so the Lord had sent Elijah to this woman who obviously had nothing. She's preparing essentially her last meal for her son and herself, and Elijah comes along and says, Give me something to drink and give me something to eat <clears throat> in verse 13. So then, Eliza said to her, "Don't be afraid. Uh, go do as you have said, but first make me a small loaf from it and bring it out to me." He said, "Don't be afraid. Just, just do what I tell you to do. Afterwards, um, you may make some for yourself and your son, for this is what the Lord God says. Of it, uh, for this is what the Lord God of Israel says: the flour jar will not become empty and the oil jug will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the surface of the land." And so Elijah is telling the woman, look, don't worry, this is covered. You think you only have a little bit, but you're going to be provided for because until rain comes, this jar and this jug will never run dry. So how do you think she might have reacted to that? Because, I mean, she doesn't know. And so uh, in verse 15, it says, she proceeds to do what he says. Then the woman, Elijah, and her household ate many days. So they ate many days off of this little provision. The flour jar did not become empty, and the oil jug jug did not run dry, according to the word the Lord had spoken through Elijah. So everything Elijah told her came true, and they ate. In verse 17, uh, it says, After this, the son of the woman, he became ill. His illness got worse until he stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, Man of God, why have you come here? Have you come to call attention to my uh, inequity so that my son is put to death? In other words, have you come to point out my sin and then take my child away from me because of my sin? Is that why you're here, man of God? But Elijah said to her, "Give me your son." So she took um, so he took him from her arms, brought him up to the upstairs room where he was standing and laid on him on his bed or and laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord and said, Lord, my God, have you also brought t- uh, tragedy to this widow I am staying with by killing her son? And so Elijah sent- essentially saying back to the Lord what she had inquired him about. You know, have you brought me here so the son could be uh, killed, could die? Verse 21, then he stretched himself over the boy three times. He cried out to the Lord and said, um, Lord, my God, please let this boy's life come into him again. So the Lord listened to Elijah and the boy's life came into again and he lived. Then Elijah took the boy down uh, to his mother. Verse 24, then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know you're a man of God, and the Lord's word from your mouth is true. And so she did all of this stuff, not knowing whether the Lord's word was true, but everything that Elijah said had come true, and she believed. And in uh, chapter 18, we see, uh, after a long while, word came to the Lord, or the word uh, of the Lord came to Elijah, uh, and it was in the third year. And uh, the the famine was very severe in Samaria. And so the the Lord told um, Elijah to go find Ahab, essentially. And in verse 3, it says, um, Ahab called for Obadiah, who was in charge of the palace. Obadiah was a man who greatly feared the Lord, and took a hundred prophets and hid them, 50 men, to a cave, and provided... uh, them with food and water when Jezebel slaughtered the Lord's prophets. And so uh, apparently Jezebel, who was Ahab's wife, so she would be the queen, uh, slaughtered all of the Lord's prophets, uh, but Omri, or excuse me, Obadiah saved 100 of them, put 50 men to a cave, and fed them and kept them alive and out of her sight so they couldn't be uh, killed. <clears throat> and so in verse 7 it says, While Obadiah was walking along the road, Elijah suddenly met him. When, Ob- when Obadiah recognized him, he fell face down uh, and said, "Is it you, my lord Elijah?" "It is I," he replied. "Go tell, uh, go, go tell your lord Elijah is here." In other words, go tell Ahab, your, the king, that Elijah is here. Obadiah objects because he's like, "Look, he's going to kill me if I tell him you, because he hates you essentially." And now you're telling me to go tell him. No, no. So Elijah assures him that no, 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 I'm going to be there. He's not going to kill you. So that's what Obadiah does. He goes and tells Ahab. And then in verse 17, when Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, is that you, the one ruining Israel? So Ahab says to Elijah, he's blaming Elijah for the drought, you know, and the famine. And then um, uh, in verse 18, Elijah replied, I have not ruined Israel, but you and your father's family have because you have abandoned the Lord's commands and followed the Baals. In verse 19, now summon all Israel to meet me at Mount Carmel along with the 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Ashirah who eat at Jezebel's table. And so there's essentially 850 prophets. uh, pagan prophets, if you will, uh, that uh, um, Elijah told Ahab to go bring to Mount Carmel. And so that's what uh, Ahab did. And then in verse 21, then Elijah approached all the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people didn't answer. They didn't say anything. They, they were just So in other words, Elijah is saying, look, choose a side. You can't straddle the middle. Choose a side. So he's trying to force them into choosing a side, and they won't choose. And so then uh, Elijah said to the people, "Uh, I am the only remaining prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us. Uh, They are to choose one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces, and place it on the wood, but not light the fire. I will prepare another bull and place it on the wood, but not light the fire. Then you call in the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers with fire, he is God. And so this is a test. He's saying, look, you sacrifice a bull, I'll sacrifice a bull, you know, and we won't light it. We'll see which God lights it and whoever lights it, that is God. And so then uh, the prophets of Baal go out. And they start doing all sorts of stuff. You know, they start dancing, they start shouting loudly, they start hooping and hollering, and nothing is happening. And Elijah starts mocking them and making fun of them. It says in verse 27, at noon, Elijah mocked them. He said... Um, Shout loudly, for he's a god. Maybe he's thinking it over. Maybe he has wandered away, or maybe he's on the road. Perhaps he's sleeping and will wake up. They shouted loudly and cut themselves with knives and spears according to their custom until blood gushed over them. All afternoon they kept on raving until the offering of the evening sacrifice. But there was no sound, no one answered, no one paid attention. (laughs) So nothing happened through all of this stuff. Uh, Then Elijah said to all the people in verse 30 come near me. So all the people approached him Then he prepared the Lord's altar that had been torn down. So he's preparing this stuff on a torn down altar it's not even an erect altar this thing is torn down and he puts 12 stones out there in verse 32 he says and he built an altar with the stones in the uh, name of the lord then he uh, then he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold about four gallons Uh, next he arranged the wood cut up the bull and placed it on the wood he said uh, fill four water pots with water and pour it on the offering uh, to be burned on the wood then he said uh, a second time And they did it a second time. And then he said, Do it again. So he had to pour water on the altar three times, you know, pour water on this thing. And so so the water ran all over the altar. He filled the trench around the altar. And so the the, the altar was wet around the trench. Um, uh, Water was filled in the trench. And then, um, uh, and it says in verse 36 at the time of the offering of the evening, evening sacrifice, the prophet Elijah approached the altar and said, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel and I am your servant, and that at your word I have done these things. Verse 37, answer me, Lord, answer me, so that this people will know that you, the Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. In verse 38, then the Lord's fire fell and consumed the burnt offering, the wood, the stones, and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. And so it was obvious who was God. In verse 40, then Elijah uh, ordered them, seize the prophets of Baal, do not even let one of them escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the Wadi Kishon and slaughtered them there. (laughs) So he brought all the prophets, they had already been cutting and stabbing themselves, and to add insult to injury, he brought them down and and killed them. And so... uh, if we go into to um uh, well uh, another interesting thing and so then elijah goes and he puts his head between his knees he tells his servants to go out and watch over the, the water and keep keep looking keep looking and then they start seeing a cloud a dark cloud coming in a storm cloud coming in and then it starts to rain it says in verse 45 in a little while the sky grew dark with clouds and wind and there was a, a downpour remember there had been a drought right uh, So Ahab got up, uh, got in his chariot and went to Jezreel. The power of the Lord was on Elijah and he tucked um, his mantle under his belt and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. (laughs) So he outran the chariot in order to get to the next city. In chapter 19, verse 1, Ahab told Jezebel everything uh, Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with a sword. So Jezebel sent um, a messenger to Elijah saying, may the gods punish me and do so severely if I don't make your life like the life of one of them uh, by this time tomorrow. And so she's she's threatening uh, Elijah that, that <laughs> I'm gonna may, may the Lord punish me if I don't kill you by tomorrow, Elijah. In verse 3, then Elijah became afraid and immediately ran for his life. Now this has always intrigued me because Elijah has just defeated the 450 prophets of Baal. Proving which God was God, but he's running from uh, Jezebel's threat. Hmm. Anyway, it says, uh, he sat under a broom tree and prayed that he might die. He said, I have, I have had enough, Lord. Take my life, for I'm no longer better than my father's. Suddenly an angel touched him. Uh, the angel told him, get up and eat. And so that's what he did. He got up and eat. And in verse 7, then the angel of the Lord returned for a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat or the journey will be too much for you. So he got up, ate, and drank. Then on the strength of that food, he walked 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, uh, the mountain of God. He entered the cave there and spent the night. Uh, suddenly, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? So this is the Lord uh, asking him, What are you doing here? And Elijah replies, Look, I've been very uh, zealous for you and, and done all of this stuff and, and whatnot, and, but they're trying to kill me. They're trying to take my life. And then in verse eleven, then he said, Get out and stand on the mountain in the Lord's presence, in the Lord's presence. At that moment the Lord passed by. The great and mighty wind was tearing at the mountains and was shattering cliffs before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not uh, the earthquake. After the earthquake there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire there was a voice, a soft whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face <coughs> in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And then Elijah said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of armies, uh, but Israelites, but the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I am left alone. They're looking to take my life. In verse 15, the Lord said to him, go. <coughs> and return by the way you came to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you are to anoint Hazael uh, as king over Aram. You are to anoint Jehu, son of uh, Nimshi, as king over Israel, and Elijah, son of Shaphat, uh, from Abel-Maloha, as prophet in your place. Then Jehu will put to death whoever escapes the sword of uh, Hazael, and Elijah will put to death whoever escapes the sword of Jehu." But I will leave 7,000 in Israel, every knee that has not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. And so the Lord is promising that he's going to leave some alive, those that remain faithful to him. In verse 19, Elijah left there and found Elisha, um, and he was uh, plowing. Elijah walked uh, by him and threw his mantle over him. Elisha left the oxen. Uh, ran uh, to follow Elijah and said, please let me kiss my father and mother, and then I will follow you. And so Elisha went back, cooked a meal for his father and his mother, and then followed Elijah. And that brings us to the end of chapter 19. We'll pick up with chapter 20 tomorrow. Bye-bye now.